Hey, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to 1 Peter chapter 3. Resilient faith. That's the theme of the series from the book of 1 Peter. This book has a lot to say about what it looks like to have faith in Jesus Christ and have that faith in a world that doesn't understand that, that doesn't agree with that, and at times actively opposes that. Jesus told his followers, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. And Peter wrote this letter to people who were experiencing that. Uh, There were some who just did not like hearing the Christian message that basically all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of God's glory, and we cannot, by any effort, any merit of our own, gain God's approval. We just can't be good enough for that. In fact, the message says, we are so messed up that the perfect Son of God had to come and die in our place uh, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience God's approval, not as something we achieve, but as an unearned, undeserved gift. Now, the message also includes the truth that it's because of God's great love for us that Jesus was willing to come and do that. But still, the idea that Christ had to die for us, Christ had to die for you in order for you to be right with God, that, that's offensive to human pride. People also did not like being told that they were wrong. <laughs> They didn't like being told that they were wrong in their religious views, that, um, that the gods that they worshipped weren't really gods at all. They were just idols. They were just you know, gods of human imagination, just made up, um, and, and that people deserve judgment for rejecting the one true creator God whose existence can be known through his creation. But instead of worshiping and honoring him as God, uh, we choose, we prefer gods of our own imagination. People didn't like hearing that. People didn't want to hear that, you know, you and I really don't get to decide for ourselves what's good and what's evil. But God has told us what's good and what's evil. And if we reject him, if we ignore him, if we... uh, disregard what he's told us, that there's going to be hell to pay? Some people didn't like that message then. Some people don't like it today. And so if you, if you make the choice to put your faith in Jesus, to believe this message, and to, in obedience to him, share this message then there are going to be those times when you find yourself on the unpopular side of human opinion. 
And, of course, that kind of trouble, that's in addition to all the ordinary kinds of difficulties and troubles that just come with living in a, in a broken, fallen world. In this world, you will have trouble. So, in this world, you need a faith in Jesus Christ that is resilient. A faith that can take a beating without breaking, a faith that's more like a bungee cord than a potato chip, okay? And today we're going to be talking about a critical ingredient for having a faith that's resilient, and that critical ingredient is hope, hope. Hope is absolutely essential if you are going, if your faith is going to be resilient, because here's what hope is. Hope is the expectation, it's the anticipation, it's the confidence that things are going to get better, a lot better. That no matter how bad things are now, how, no matter how bad they might get, they're going to get a lot better. And if you can know that, and if you can live with that expectation in mind and in heart, if you can have that hope then that will enable you to put up with all kinds of trouble in the meantime. Now, I've used this illustration before. It's very, it's very mundane, but I, I feel like it helps you know, get the concept in mind. If, you, if you're going to take a long road trip somewhere, and you know, you know you're going to be spending a lot of time in the car, and especially if you have kids in the car with you, you know there's going to be trouble. Okay, there's going to be whining. There's going to be a lot of asking. There's going to be you know, squabbles in the car. But if your destination, if you know your destination is going to be good, you know, because you're going to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving or you're going to someplace you really want to go and it's going to be fun, knowing where you're going, knowing that you're getting there, knowing, anticipating the good that's coming, that enables you to endure the troubles on the way. Now, you take that concept and you multiply it by like a million or something, and that's the idea of, of hope, Christian hope. And we need to know that. We need to have that hope to put up with the trouble that we experience in this world. And, and I, I think the, the point I just want us to grasp is that the Christian message is about so much more than just forgiveness, I think sometimes we, we just kind of tend to reduce it down to forgiveness of sins. Now, that is huge. It's so important. It's so amazing, you know, uh, because it, well, it's essential. Because without forgiveness, we have no hope. We, we have no uh, confidence. There's no being right with God without forgiveness. It's, it's massive. And so, you know, if you've never heard it before, hear it now. You know, when we put faith, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us, all of our sins, all of them are completely wiped away. It's just so wonderful. 1 John 1.9, if we confess, if we admit our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. All. What a huge three-letter word that is. All unrighteousness. So we put our faith in Christ. We are forgiven of all of our sin. 
not because of any merit of our own, but only because of what he accomplished, his merit, his work on the cross for us. So it's, it's huge. However, forgiveness is just the beginning. There's so much more to a relationship with Christ than just forgiveness. And one of the things, the thing we're going to be focusing on today is hope. There is hope because of relationship with Christ. There is hope that all of these promises, promises that Jesus made that he's going to fulfill, these promises about the future, how he's going to come again, how he's going to make right every wrong, how there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And his followers are going to reign with him forever and experience joy and peace and satisfaction eternally. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And if we will live holding on to that hope, then that helps keep our faith resilient in the meantime. And we can get squeezed by the troubles of this world and we can endure because we have hope. So hope helps make our faith resilient, but it does something else. And this is really the focus of what I want to talk about. See, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Hope does more than make our faith resilient. It also helps make our faith contagious. Contagious. Hope helps us do the job Jesus gave us of sharing his message with others. Because if you really live with hope in this messed up world, that's going to make some people curious. And they're going to wonder how you can possibly live that way. With everything that's going wrong, everything that's messed up, you have this expectation, this anticipation, this confidence that things are going to get better. And so people are going to ask. It's going to make people curious. And then God can use that curiosity to draw people to himself. And that's, that's what we're going to focus on. So if you're in 1 Peter 3, uh, we're in, uh, going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. If you don't have a Bible and you want to help yourself to the one in the rack in front of you, please do so. In your note sheet, there, or in your folder, there's a note sheet if you want to take that out. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's what I think Peter's saying. Let me just give it to you in other words. He's saying, you know, normally when you do good stuff, when you do good things, you don't get into trouble for that. Normally. That doesn't usually happen. You don't usually get in trouble for doing good things. But that can happen. 
in this world. And if it happens to you, because you belong to Christ and because you are living life the way He wants you to live it, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but cling to this truth that Jesus is Lord. And He's going to rule over even this for your ultimate good, for your benefit. Cling to that hope. Hold on to that hope. Live with confidence that things are going to get better because Jesus is Lord. And if you will do that, if you will do that, then some people are going to ask you how you can live that way. And when they ask you, be ready to share the good news so that they can realize they've been wrong about you and then they can turn from their sin just as you did. I think that's what he's saying. Hope not only makes faith resilient, it makes it contagious. So I want to focus here in on verse 15, and I want to deal with some questions that it raises. These are questions that, as I read this, pop into my mind. And so I'm hoping they'll pop into your mind, too, or that you'll relate to these. Verse 15 says, In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Or, another way you could translate it, In your hearts, set apart, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay? Here's question number one. Do you have hope in you? Do you? Do you have hope in you? Can people see it? Can people see that you have hope in you? Is it evident? Are you expecting good things? Are you expecting great things? Are you expecting awesome things to happen in your your mind and in your heart? You're, You're anticipating. You're living with an anticipation of good, great, awesome things. And you're living with that not because of what might happen politically. You know, that, hey, maybe my candidate will win and things will get better politically. Not, not because of that. And not because that the economy might get better and your, 401, your 401k is going to get better. Not because of that. And not because you've got some great plans. And you're looking forward to those plans coming to fulfillment. You know, you're going you're to graduate. You're going to go into this career, that career. Uh, you're going to get a promotion. Or even you're just planning a, a fun time as a family. You got a vacation planned or something. Not because of that either. No, you are expecting great, good, awesome things because you belong to Jesus Christ. And he has promised great, awesome things for you. And you're holding on to that. See, that's really the only way to have a hope in you that's unshakable. That's not dependent on everything working out okay out, you know, in your out, out, outward circumstances. Back in chapter 1, verse 13, look at this. It says, set your hope fully. 
on the grace that will be brought to you, the grace that will be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully, completely on that. What is that? On the grace that's going to be given to you when Jesus is revealed, when He comes, when He returns as He promised. Live every day in light of that day. So that of all the things you look forward to in life, you know, we all look forward to a lot of things. Of all the things you look forward to, the thing you look forward to the most is all of the grace, all of the good that you are going to experience as a believer in Jesus when he returns and he fulfills all of his promises. That that's the thing you look forward to the most. I look forward to a lot of things. You know, at the end of the day, I look forward to going home, seeing my beautiful wife, hanging out with her, having dinner. I look forward to that. I look forward when it's winter to spring. I really do. When I'm on the long road trip between here and Glendora, California, to, to be with family, I look forward to seeing them. I look forward to being, and I look forward to going to In-N-Out Burger, <laughs> and I look forward to going to the Donut Man, because he makes these incredible fresh strawberry donuts every spring that are awesome. I really look forward to our Operation Christmas Child packing party next month. Because it is a blast. It is fun. And to know the good that's being accomplished through that, seeing all these people come together, it's, it's awesome. I look forward to that. I look forward to the next time I get to go jet skiing next summer. And I, I look forward to someday having some grandchildren. <laughs> but I should not set my hope fully on any of those things. You know why? Well, for starters, there's no guarantee that any of them will ever happen. Yeah, spring coming, that's, that's pretty sure. But you know what? It might be a really rainy, cold, lousy spring. And even if all those things I'm, look for, I'm looking forward to, even if every single one of them happened, I know this, they won't fully satisfy me. They won't. I'll have to come up with something else to look forward to, you know, because they can't. They can't fully satisfy me. Why? Because my heart was designed to be satisfied fully with only one thing, with only one person. Psalm 1611. You, O Lord, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, even the greatest experiences of this life, they're, they're just temporary. And, and you know something? They're almost always, have you noticed this? They're almost always mixed with just a little bit of disappointment or a little bit of sadness or a little bit of frustration or something. I remember we used to go visit my parents and my dad. You know, we're, we're going to be with him for five days but he would kind of count down the days. He just loved having us there so much, but he'd always say, when are you leaving again? Oh, Saturday. Okay, well, at least we have five more days. At least we have four more days. At least we have three more days. Every day, and I'd think, Dad, just enjoy the time. But he was right. It was going to come to an end. And so even in the 
this, the, the, the joy of the moment. There, there can be just this hint of sadness or, you know, it's, it's not going to last. And even if it's great, even if everything is perfect, we know there's some trouble around the corner that's coming. You say, well, Scott, that's morbid to think like that. No, it's real. And if we set our hope fully on anything in this life, we are going to be just as disappointed, just as frustrated, just as unsatisfied as people who don't know Jesus. Christians are supposed to be hopeful people. We're to be characterized by hope no matter what is going on around us, no matter what's going on in our lives. Our lives are to be characterized by this expectation, by this anticipation that things are going to get better. And that doesn't mean we're in denial about evil. You know, I can't see it. Uh, no, no, blah, 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 I don't, I don't want to hear about it. No, we know things are messed up. We know things are bad. But we know why they're bad. And more importantly, we know what the answer is. So when bad stuff happens, we're grieved, we're saddened, but we're not shocked because we know what sin is. We know what the human heart is capable of. And so we don't retreat into fear. We don't retreat into despair. You know, verse 14, have no fear of them. Those who are slandering you, those who are opposing you, those who are making life difficult for you. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, how? How, how do you not fear the, the terrible stuff? By putting your focus on something else. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Yes, things are bad because we're sinners, but Jesus is Lord. He reigns. He rules. Evil doesn't rule. He rules. Our enemies don't rule. He rules. This situation doesn't rule. He rules. And so, because we know that, we can expect two things. We can expect things to be very hard now, but worth it, because he'll make it worth it. So we expect things to be hard, but worth it, and we expect things to get awesome. We expect the future to be awesome. The present, difficult, but worth it. The future, awesome. Second Corinthians 4.16, look at it. So, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature, our outer man is wasting away, we're getting older, things are falling apart, but our inner nature, our inner man is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction. Oh man, slight momentary affliction. Paul's talking about the hardships he experienced in life as a follower of Christ, as a, as a messenger of Christ. And if you go back and read him, you're going, what? Slight momentary affliction? Yeah, not by experience, but by comparison. Because this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight 
of glory beyond all comparison. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you have that hope in you? Do you have that hope in you? Can people see that hope in you? I'm going to tell you, this is really convicting to me. Because I have that hope here, but I don't think I live enough with that hope kind of oozing out of my life. I don't think I focus on my hope enough and let it show. Do you have that hope in you? Second question, do you know the reason for that hope? Do you know the reason for that hope? Peter assumes that if somebody asks you, hey, why, why are you hopeful? Why are you expecting good things to happen? Can't you see how messed up everything is? What's wrong with you? Peter assumes that if somebody asks you why you're hopeful, why you expect things to get better, that you're going to have an intelligent answer. And that your answer is more than, you know, just the fact that you're a positive person. You know, some of you are. Some of you are just, you know, wired to be just positive and, you know, optimistic. You're just a golden retriever, you know. You just <laughs> can't wait for the day because something awesome's going to happen. Somebody's going to toss a tennis ball for you and you're going to go after it. You just, you know... You're optimistic, and, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's so good. You know, the Eeyores of the world need the golden retrievers of the world. This is good. But hope needs a reason. Hope needs a reason. It needs, you know, if, we need an answer more solid, more reliable than just, well, you know, I'm just an optimistic person. I'm just positive. Well, that's nice, but that's not really a reason for being convinced that this messed up world is ever going to get any better. You could just be deluded. You could just be a crazy golden retriever. (laughs) So when Peter talks about having a reason, what's the reason he's talking about? What kind of reason does he have in mind? We need to go back to chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Real hope, real hope is built on the solid historical fact that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. The reason you can have hope that things will definitely get better is because Jesus promised that they will. And the reason you can rely on his promise is because he did something that nobody else has ever done. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. And he was seen alive by many witnesses. Which means our hope is real because the gospel is true. And we know the gospel is true because it really happened. Jesus lived, died, rose again. So if if somebody asks us, if somebody asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you, it's, it's important to distinguish, it's important to know the difference between your testimony and the gospel. Okay, your testimony is your story. Your story of 
how God worked in your life to bring the gospel to you, how he worked to bring you to faith in Jesus. That's your testimony. That's your story. And it's awesome. It's important. And by all means, share it whenever you have the opportunity. But your story, your testimony is not the same thing as the gospel. Okay. Now, it should point to the gospel, but it's not the gospel. People aren't saved by believing your testimony. People are saved by hearing and believing the gospel, the good news. See, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, what's the gospel? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.3 is a great place to see it. And back in verse 1 or 2, he says, Now I make known to you the gospel. And he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, scriptural verification that he died, and was buried, historical verification that he died. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and was buried. And on the third day, he was raised. Where did I lose it? On the third day, according to the Scriptures, scriptural verification, and he was seen. He, was, he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Historical verification. Christ died for our sins, and he rose. That's the gospel. And the reason that pe- people need to know the gospel, the reason people need to repent, the reason people need to put their faith in Jesus is not because he changed my life, not because he changed your life, but because Jesus is real. Because he's real. Because he's Lord. You know, you'll see postings on, on the internet and stuff, and people say, well, you know, I used to be a Christian, but then I figured out I could be happy, you know, being an atheist, or I figured out I could be happy, I could be fulfilled doing this. You know, That's not the point. Jesus is Lord. He's real. You need to repent and put your trust in Him because He's Lord. Because He died to forgive our sins. Because we have no hope without Him. And the resurrection proves it. That's the reason for the hope. You know, we don't want to just say, well, you know, Jesus changed my life. Well, that's awesome, and that, you know, by all means say that, but don't stop there, because there are a lot of people who could say, well, my religion changed my life too. It's the gospel we have to hear. It's the gospel we have to believe. It's the gospel that saves. Jesus saves. So, do you have that hope in you? Do you know the reason for the hope? And third, can you share that reason? Can you share that reason? I think I was in my first year of college or something like that when somebody posed this question to me for the first time and said, hey, if anybody ever asked you, basically, what must I do to be saved or tell me about the hope that you have within you, would you know what to say? Would you be able to share it? And I realized I don't think so. I wouldn't know what to say. And I figured, well, I, uh, I better get ready. So I I did. And I, you know, did a little research and memorized a few Bible verses and talked to a few people, and I came up with a plan for how to share the gospel. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in Him, you need to do that if you haven't done that. You need to be able to share what the gospel is. You know, verse 15 says, always being prepared. 
always ready. Why? Why always? Because we never know when we're going to have the opportunity. You know what I said? Opportunities tend to show up when you're not really not expecting them. And it's like inconvenient. I think also this means always being prepared. To me, that, that tells me I need to always be looking for opportunities. I need to be praying for opportunities. I need to be trying to create opportunities in my conversation. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at that, but I want to get better. I really do. We need to be prepared. We need to share, be able to share the reason for our hope. You say, well, how do you get better? Or I mean, how do you get ready? Well, you just have to do your homework. There's just no, you, you just, I mean, it's just, it's just not going to happen just by showing up to, at church, worship, your small group or whatever. In fact, I would, I would encourage your small groups th- that meet this week to talk about this and say, well, what, how do you share? What do you say? What verses do you use? You know, how, how did you get ready or are you ready? And on your sheet there in your folder, I've, I've listed a couple of fairly simple gospel presentations that you can look up, um, but there's nothing sacred about those. You could, you know, if you've got another method or look for one, find one that works for you. That's the thing. Find one that works for you. I remember somebody said to Dwight Moody, you know, he says, I don't like the way you share the gospel, basically. And <laughs> Dwight Moody says, well, I don't particularly like the way I share it either. How do you share it? He says, well, I, I don't. And Moody said, well, I like the way I share it better than the way you don't. Find a way that works for you and be ready. If you knew, if you were a student, if you were enrolled in a program and you knew you had a big test coming up, you weren't sure exactly when, but if you knew you were going to be tested on this particular information, what would you do? You'd study. If you want to pass, you better study. Okay, there's going to be a test. You're going to have an opportunity. So study. Be ready. But I think, I think this is telling us that there's more to being ready than just knowing what you're going to say. The other part of being ready is how you're going to say it. What I mean by how, your attitude, your demeanor. It says, do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. You don't see a lot of that on the internet. This is huge. This is, not, this, is, this is not just knowing the facts of the gospel. This is not just being able to spit out the facts of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. God's love. God's compassion. God's mercy to undeserving sinners. God's grace. Gentleness and respect. By the way, gentleness does not mean, that's not opposed to boldness, okay? This is not saying we have to be quiet. This is not saying we have to be soft-spoken. Gentle means humble. See, where, where does gentleness, where do gentleness and respect come from? They come from a humble heart. Humility. Humility before people. Humility before God. Humility before people because we're sinners just like they are. 
We didn't do anything. You know, God didn't, if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, God didn't save you because you were a little better of a sinner than they were. You're just as lost, just as hopeless, just as condemned without Christ and His mercy as they are. So there's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for thinking I'm better than you are. Humility before people. And you know what? People can tell if we really believe this by the way we talk to them. If we really do believe that without Christ we're just as lost. And then humility before God. You know, the verse that says, regard Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. So set apart Christ as Lord. Humility. He's God, we're not. He's Lord. So that means I don't have to be afraid of those who slander me or, or do evil to me. I don't have to be angry at them because Jesus rules If I'm angry, if I'm afraid, that probably means I'm not trusting Christ as Lord. And if we're angry, if we're afraid, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Jesus is Lord. He's going to rule over this for your good. Believe it. Share with gentleness and respect. We need to remind ourselves of our true hope. So listen to Titus 3. Listen to the gospel. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us. We did not save ourselves. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out generous, on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified, having been made right by His grace, gift, undeserved, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Live with hope by knowing the gospel, believing the gospel, being ready to share the gospel. Hope. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that Jesus is Lord. Thank you that he died and he rose again so that in his name we can be forgiven. In his name we can have hope. In his name we can be confident. In his name we can love those around us. Father, we can't do any of this in our own strength, so we just we plead for you to do what you alone can do. Change us. Make us what you want us to be. Help us cling to the hope you have given us in Christ. And may we rejoice and look forward to all you've promised. In Christ's name we pray, amen.